hope everyone's recovered a little bit from Christmas rush. And maybe you're preparing for the New Year's rush. I don't know. Maybe that's a relaxing time. Hopefully it's relaxing for you. This morning, as you can tell, we are talking about surrender. I want to um, bring before you the idea that as we head into this new year, the world uh, looks at it as resolution time, right? Let me eat better or um, exercise more or whatever, you know, little things that they want to make a resolution for. But I feel like as Christ followers, we have to take this time to evaluate our spiritual lives. And we need to take action to deepen our understanding of who God is, what he's done for us, and who we are in Christ. That's what I feel like we need to be doing at this time of the year. Well, all year, of course. But right now, as we're heading into the new year, let's take a look at that. So when we look at the word surrender, it means to yield to the power of another, to give oneself up. There's many areas that we need to surrender to God. I I truly believe there's lots of different things that we need to surrender. But there's three that I want to talk about today. And those are surrendering our plans, our opinions, and our holiness. Right? So surrendering our plans, our opinions, I'm sure we have many, and our holiness. We're going to take a look at the life of Jonah, hence this beautiful whale up here to remind us um, of the story. I'm sure you're all familiar with it. And the famous parts, right, are that he got scooped up by a big fish. But there's a lot to the book of Jonah. It's only four four short chapters, but there's a lot in there. And so I really want to dive in. We're going to look at the entire book of Jonah um, and really take it apart. So let's start with just knowing a little bit of history. Jonah lived in the northern kingdom, and it's during a time of prosperity for Israel and Judah. It's it's going well. But for the last 50 years, um, Assyria was the threat, the major international threat. They were actually the world's first superpower. And uh, they were terrible, right? (laughs) They were super cruel. Their brutality was known throughout the world. They were actually famous in their time for um, being able to skin people alive really well, (laughs) right? Um, They knew how to skin their enemy and keep them alive as long as possible. Yeah, totally disgusting, right? Um, Awful. So God says, hey, Jonah, go hang out with those Assyrians and tell them that I love them and uh, I'm going to destroy them because they're evil, right? Um, Not a good plan, right? Would you want to do that after you know that they can skin you alive and keep you alive for a really long time? No, don't think so. Um, So let's take a look at uh, what what Jonah did. We're going to start out with um, chapter 1, verse 3. So God says, go to Nineveh, tell them I'm going to destroy them in 40 days. And Jonah says, he got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa, where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and went on board, hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. I want to point out, too, that normally Old Testament prophets were called to their own people. So they're usually called to the Israelites to say, hey, God Almighty says this and that and get on board. And so they had the groundwork. They knew who they were talking about. But these Assyrians, uh, they have no clue who Yahweh is. They don't know. They worship false gods. They have have no clue who the God of the universe is. So it's kind of another barrier that Jonah's like, great, you know, awesome. I get to go tell them. So clearly he doesn't want to, and he goes in the opposite direction. So let's take a look at the map so you can see exactly what's, what's happening here so you have a full understanding that he's at Joppa. He goes down to the port. You got that? Awesome. Okay. 
Oh, all right, well, that's all right. So here's Joppa, right? And God's calling him to Nineveh, which is not very far away, right? A little bit up north. And Jonah says, "Mm, nope, I'm going to go all the way west over to Tarshish. Now, at that time, that's probably like his known world. So Jonah is literally like running across the whole world to get away from God. Sound like a good plan? Well, let's find out. So Jonah boards a ship, and a wild storm comes up. Now, you're probably familiar with this part, right? So the wind is crashing. The sailors are freaking out because they know they're going to lose something. And so they have to decide, are we going to lose this cargo that we are taking across for trading, or are we going to lose our lives? Simple answer, right? Throw the cargo overboard, right? So they're getting rid of cargo. They're emptying their ship. But it's still going nuts, right? The wind and the waves are crashing, and they're probably freaking out, looking around. And then the captain notices, where's that guy Jonah? Where is he? So he goes below deck, and Jonah's sleeping. That's what you normally do during a crazy storm, right? You just sleep. And so the captain's like, get up! What are you doing? Pray to your God. See if he'll stop this. And Jonah's like, well, I mean, i got to tell you, I'm the problem. I'm just going to be real with you. It's my fault that this is happening. Throw me overboard. Most of us would be like, sure thing, see ya. <laughs> right? But for some reason, these sailors don't. They actually say, no, 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 we're not going to do that. We'll just, we'll, we'll um, row harder, we'll row harder. So they try to do that. It doesn't matter. The storm continues to be violent. It's not slowing down. And they decide, okay, I guess we have to throw them overboard. So they pray to God and say, hey, please do not hold this against us. We're going to throw them overboard, but, but don't hold it against us. So they toss them overboard, and immediately the storm stops. Pretty awesome. The sailors are so amazed by God's power that they immediately come to Christ. They go, okay, cool, God is powerful, we're going to serve him. They make a vow, we're going to serve Jonah's God because he's awesome. And I love that. I just had to throw in there that I just, isn't that cool? Like right in the middle of Jonah's disobedience and God's discipline of it, he's still at work and people are still coming to him. Like I love that. It's so awesome. All right, I think that most of us picture the whale, right, immediately scooping up Jonah, right, when he's been tossed in the water and kind of saving him from this, right? But it's not what happened. It's much, much worse. (laughs) Let's look at chapter 2, verses 5 and 6. And this is where we see Jonah's prayer. This is what he says. I sank beneath the waves. The waters closed over me. Seaweed wrapped itself around my head. I sank down to the very roots of the mountains, I was imprisoned in the earth, whose gates lock shut forever. But you, O Lord my God, snatched me from the jaws of death. So he wasn't just floating on the waves, hanging out when the big fish comes. He is dying. He's suffocating, drowning in the pits of the sea. And then God arranges for the big fish to come. See, this terrible experience, right? God actually has a plan to protect Jonah. So he sends the big fish. In verse 17 it says, Now the Lord had arranged for a big fish to swallow Jonah, and there he was inside the fish for three days and three nights. God's desire, even within his discipline of Jonah, wasn't to retaliate or to get back at him for Jonah running from him. It was to restore, to protect him. That's why he sent the big fish. Kind of shake him up a little, right? Come to your senses, man. Hang out in the belly of a fish. Have any of you ever run away from home? Maybe a couple of you are here, some laughter. Um, runners are all the same, right? 
We're there, we're in the midst of whatever, a relationship, a situation, a fight at home, and the immediate plan is get out, right? Just like Jonah, run, go to Tarshish. But you don't necessarily think about all the actual things that are going to happen, right? Like as a kid, you pack your bag and go to the corner, and then you're like, okay, well, that was cool. I did that. My tummy's grumbling, and I better get home for dinner, right? I mean, that's kind of how it goes. Um, because we don't think through what all the consequences are going to be or what all the fallout is. Um, it's, uh, it's not very well thought through when we're running. So on January 10th, 2000-something, probably uh, 10 or 11, after having an argument with his parents, Ben decided to run away. Um, it got really quiet in the house too quiet. So my husband Joel went upstairs to see uh, if Ben was okay. Opened his bedroom door and the windows open. Now Ben lived on the second floor, right? His bedroom was on the second floor in the back of the house. There's no garage roof to climb out onto and the tree that was back there was way too far away to like leap out onto. So we're like, how did he do this? And then we see it. Like any other good self-respecting prisoner, He had made a rope out of sheets and blankets. I'm serious. (laughs) Uh, Literally. Tied them together, you know, tied it to his uh, bedpost and thrown it out the window. And clearly, it was engineered well because it held him and he was gone. (laughs) So, I mean, obviously at the moment, we're not like admiring his escape rope making skills. We're freaking out because our son is gone. Um, It was January. Possibly not like this January. (laughs) So there was snow. Uh, So Joel starts following footsteps. I jump in the car. We are running and driving all over Baldensville looking for our son. Now, the thing on our minds is not like, oh, man, is he going to get it, right? No way. (laughs) The thing on our minds is like, oh, please, God, keep him safe and bring him back to us. We don't have plans of grounding, right? We have plans of hugging him and making sure that he's safe. And this is just like God in this story of Jonah. He's not wanting to get Jonah back so we can like, oh man, you really screwed it up, Jonah. He wants to get him back for protection. He wants to protect him in the belly of a whale. He wants to restore him and bring him back to working order, right? And that's what we're called to do as God's children, surrender our plans. Ben's belly of a big fish was at a local park. He sat there in the cold, It was about twilight, so cold and dark. And he thought, yeah, no, this probably isn't as glorious as I thought it was going to be. I better head back home. So he did. Praise the Lord, he came back home. And he surrendered, right? He gave up his plans and yielded to the authority of his parents, which, again, is what God wants us to do as his children. Just yield to his authority. His plans are so so much greater than our own. Moving on in the story, we see that God arranged for the fish to swallow him, and then three days later, he arranged for him to spit him up onto land. Jonah hears from God again and uh, decides, all right, fine, I'll go to Nineveh. I'll tell the people destruction is coming. The hilarious part to me is that Jonah isn't scared for himself, right? He's not worried about being skinned alive. He just doesn't want to do it. (laughs) He just doesn't like the Assyrians. So he doesn't want God to send them a message. Um, But they believe him. All the people of Nineveh hear the message. They believe it, and they repent. They turn from their wicked ways. They even call for a fast. The king gets in on it. 
They call for a fast. They say, even your animals are not allowed to eat. This is real stuff, and we're going to hope that God changes his mind. Our daughter, Abby, picks up on a lot of stuff, right? Uh, She repeats everything she hears, um, which thankfully hasn't gone too bad so far. (laughs) Um, But recently we were driving, and um, um, someone cut us off. And Joel said, dude, seriously? <laughs> like, come on. And so from the back seat, we hear, dude, seriously? <laughs> like, oh, my gosh. So we start cracking up. We're, like, dying laughing. So, of course, she keeps saying it over and over and over again. And now we can just look at her and say, dude. And she'll say, seriously? <laughs> and it's awesome. It's so cute. I actually, I want you to see it. <laughs> All right, well, the sound in the picture was off a little, but you can see her doing it, um, screaming out, Dude, seriously? So cute. So this is actually probably how Jonah is feeling about now. Dude, seriously, God? Come on, I wanted them to be destroyed, and now you're going to spare them. Awesome, great. And this is where I bring to you that God wants us to surrender our opinions. Because we have a lot of them usually, don't we? I know I have a lot of opinions. <laughs> and they're typically not godly. They are definitely fleshly. Um, they're not, when I'm trying to deal with in my own self how God should deal with other people, not godly. <laughs> not uh, appropriate for us to do. So at this point, all right, Jonah has run from God. His life has been saved by God. And now he's upset. He's practically throwing a temper tantrum because God's going to spare them. Uh, chapter 3, verse 10 says, When God saw that what they had done and how they had stopped their evil ways, he changed his mind, did not carry out the destruction that he had threatened. Jonah's ticked, right? He is not happy about this. And he's not embarrassed that his prophecy isn't going to be fulfilled. It's, again, because he just doesn't like the Assyrians. He wants them to suffer. Let's take a look at what Jonah says to God. this change of plans greatly upset Jonah, and he became very angry. So he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? Can you just hear him saying this to him? This is why I ran away for Tarshish. I knew you were a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. I mean, really, isn't this absurd? This is a prophet. This is a godly man. And he's angry that God is going to spare people. Jonah, your opinion, not right. It's ridiculous. Tons of people have come to God through this. Jonah's mad. It seems silly. But that's us, right? There are certainly times, don't raise your hands, but there are certainly times where you have felt like, oh man, God, that person's got to get it. Your justice has got to come like lightning, Uh, and it doesn't happen. And you're going, hello, their sin was like big. Why didn't they get that lightning bolt stuff happening? Uh, And it just doesn't always happen, right? God has a plan that is greater than ours, and our opinions, not so godly when it comes to that. We're so hurt or we're so angry. We want others to not be shown grace. 
But haven't we been shown grace? Isn't that the gospel? That we didn't do anything to earn salvation, and yet he gives it to us. Our opinions like that about what God should do are inappropriate. They're wrong. That's why I believe that he desires us to surrender those opinions. And I also believe that he desires us to surrender our holiness. We've been bought with a price, and that was Jesus' life. He sacrificed him on the cross for us. There's nothing that we've done to earn it or deserve it. It's a free gift. All we have to do is accept it. So that reality that we've done nothing is what needs to sink into us so much so that the lens we see the world through is that, is the gospel, that we've done nothing. So that when somebody comes against us, right, that we're in a situation or we're in a relationship or whatever it is that someone really should be retaliated against, the lens we see through is, no, I have been extravagantly given grace and mercy and salvation from Christ. So I, in turn, can extravagantly give mercy and grace and forgiveness. For me, in my life, confession here, the sin is usually one of selfishness and pride. So when I start to feel like, oh man, you know, I've done this, this, and that, I deserve to be noticed, or I deserve some kind of thanks, that's when I know I'm wrong, Right? Because we don't deserve anything except punishment for sin. Let's check back in with Jonah. In chapter 4, we know he's not happy, right? We saw that hand from there. And he decides to do a little stakeout. He goes, well, you know what? I'm, I'm just going to watch. Maybe God will change his mind again and destroy this evil city. So he hangs out in the desert sets himself up a little shelter, and is hanging out watching the city. Nothing's happening. He watches for a while, and God sends a plant that has big, broad leaves. It covers him up and shades him from from the sun, which is good because it's a desert and it's super hot. And he's happy about that. Oh, good, I got this plant. This is awesome. Um, And then the next morning, God also arranges for a worm. Isn't this interesting? God uses whales, worms, plants. Awesome. Uh, Think about that in your own life. Have you had any worms? I don't know. Uh, So a worm comes, and it eats the stem of the plant, and it withers and dies. Well, now his shade's gone. He's like, ugh, seriously? This is not happening. Like, my life is terrible. It's like Jonah. It's hilarious. So... This is, this is what he says, right? He's hot, he's sandy. Oh, God sends a wind too, right? He sends a strong wind, so it's probably like a sandstorm. So he's all sandy, he's hot, he's sweaty, he's angry. And he says, in verse 8 of chapter 4, Death is certainly better than living like this. Then God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry that the plant died? Yes, Jonah retorted, even angry enough to die. Guys, I just have to, he's like serious drama king, is he not? This is like, it's just absurd. <laughs> the way that he keeps like yelling out at God, like this, is, I just have to die, the plant's gone, I don't know what to do. <laughs> and God says, you feel sorry about the plant, 
though you did nothing to put it there, it came quickly and it died quickly. Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals. Should I not feel sorry for this great city? God's kind of slapping him in the face, right? You care about this plant. You, did not, you didn't grow this plant. You didn't tend to it and make it happen. Like, I gave it to you, and I took it away. Like, that's how it's okay. That happens. Why did that tick you off more than people dying? 120,000 people. It's absurd. And that's how the book ends. Thanks, God. Awesome cliffhanger. He's like the king of cliffhangers, right? This is how people in the movie business learn how to do it from God. That's it. There's no more. Look in your Bibles. That's it. There's no more to the book of Jonah. He just asks that question and boom, done. Great. Well, what happens? Does Jonah finally come to his senses and care about the people of Nineveh? Does he not? We don't know. But I think this is awesome because we can kind of decide for ourselves, right, about our own lives. When God asks us questions like that, we have to come up with the answer. Are we going to keep whining and complaining about things? Or are we going to care about those people in spiritual darkness that are dying because maybe he's called us to do something, but it's not in our plan? Or maybe he's called us to do something, but... mm -mm. My opinion is that person doesn't deserve grace or mercy, forgiveness. This is where it challenges our holiness, right? Our holiness, our righteousness comes from Christ and Christ alone. It is in him that we are a new creation. It's not anything that we did. So when we have the view that our righteousness or our holiness is so above other people, we're wrong. We've got to surrender that. We've got to give that right back to the throne. He gives it to us, but we've got to give it right back and not hold our own holiness in such high esteem that others aren't worthy of that. The story of Jonah is is pretty much laughable to me. You know, his dramatics are absurd, and in truth, I am Jonah, right? Some of you are Jonah's. We rely on ourselves. We follow our own plans. We have many opinions. And sometimes we view others as undeserving of God's grace. I want us to be very clear on why the book of Jonah is put here in the Bible. God didn't put it there to say, okay, obey me as quick as possible or you're going to be swallowed by a big fish. Right? That's not the lesson here. Obey God as quick as possible or something bad's going to happen. That's not why it's there. God put it there to demonstrate the gospel message. That his love and compassion for us is so far-reaching, so all-encompassing, that it's given to all, to the worst of the worst, to champion torturers, to people we deem unworthy, to cheating spouses, to rebellious children, to backstabbing friends. That's who grace and mercy and forgiveness is available to, to everyone. As we begin the new year, we have to consider what we're going to yield. What is it that God is calling you to lay down at his throne? Is it a broken relationship? 
Is it something that's captured far too much of your attention and time? Maybe it's your view of your own righteousness. We as a church body believe in the spiritual discipline of fasting, taking time to concentrate on prayer and seeking God for answers while um, denying ourselves of something else. In years past, we've um, done a corporate Daniel fast where you eat um, mainly fruits and vegetables and, um, and concentrate on prayer. This year, starting next Sunday, January 3rd, we're going to start a corporate fast that everyone is invited to participate in. But this year, it's going to look a little different. You can choose to do the Daniel fast if you'd like, and there'll be that page of what you know um, appropriate foods in next week's bulletin. But we're going to open it up this year to be a little more all-encompassing, to be what's most sacrificial for you. Maybe you're a vegetarian, and doing Daniel fast is no big deal, right? So you're like, oh, that's easy. Got this in the bag. My tummy's not going to grumble for steak the whole 21 days. Um, So we're opening it up. Is it um, that you need to fast from media? Is it that you spend too much time, you know, trolling around on Facebook, stalking us all? Um, (laughs) Hey, it happens. Uh, Is it um, watching TV shows that you have to, have to, have to be home for? Like, I cannot miss this. i got to be there. Um, Is it, you know, I don't know, tweeting? (laughs) Whatever it is. Maybe it's fasting food entirely. But whatever it is that you know is going to be most appropriate for you, we want you to take that on. So for that first um, full week in January, the 3rd through the 8th, is going to be our week of prayer, where we corporately meet together here at the church to pray and to seek God. Um, in Joel 1.14 it says, Announce a time of fasting. Call the people together for a solemn meeting. Bring the leaders and all the people of the land into the temple of the Lord, your God, and cry out to him there. That's what we're going to do. We're going to gather together here at this place and seek God. Um, so next Sunday it's going to be from the typical time seven, uh, 6 to 7. And then Monday through Friday will be 6.30 to 7.30, an hour in the evening for you to come and seek God. During that week, that's when you should do your fast. That's when we'll all be deciding what it is we're fasting. If you're doing the Daniel fast, sorry, guys, that's 21 days. So have fun. <laughs> no, it is a wonderful, wonderful experience. If you haven't ever done the Daniel fast, I would encourage you to do it. We've done it two years now in my family, and, and it is very beneficial. Um, so that's, that's your choices. That's what, that's what we're going to do as a church body. And as you're deciding today, right, as you're thinking about surrender and deciding uh, what is it that God is calling me to surrender? What is it that's taking too much of my time, attention, love? That probably will help guide you into what you're supposed to be fasting. As we head towards closing today, I want you to evaluate yourself, right? Evaluate your spiritual life, where you're at, what you need to surrender. Food, social media, activities, even things that are good in your life, but that are distracting you from God, things that have become idols. That's what the word that came to us today said, that sometimes there are things that become idols in our life that we have to surrender, we have to lay down and get rid of so that God is our sole focus. Now, he doesn't want that just because he's 
greedy or something, though he is desiring us to have our full attention, but it's honestly for our good, right? So look at Jonah's life. None of that would have had to happen, right? If he would have just, I'm going to, you know what, God? I don't like those people. Those Assyrians, totally not worth my time. But I'm going to surrender myself to you, and I'm going to go do it anyways. He wouldn't have had to go through all that other stuff, right? But he didn't, because he didn't surrender. He did the, okay, okay, I surrender, type thing. Instead of, yeah, don't want to do that, but I surrender. And so there's that, that uh, attitude, right, that comes up within us, that Jonah attitude that all of us have probably had at one time or another in our lives with the, okay, okay, God, I get it. But wouldn't it be great if we could move from there to the, yep, I don't like this. This is not easy. I don't even like that person. <laughs> but I'm going to surrender. I'm going to do it because I know that you have called me to. And I know your plans are greater. Your thoughts about those people are greater. And your holiness is certainly greater than mine. As you evaluate yourself, take a look at your heart. I want you to make an action plan. So not so much like a resolution, but an action plan as to what you're going to do. If you're going to need to stay away from certain relationships or from certain locations, um, if you need to spend more time in prayer, in Bible reading, seeking God, whatever it is that you need to do, I really, really don't want you to leave this place until you've decided, hey, this is what I'm going to do because God's worthy of that. He's worthy to be praised. He's worthy to be worshipped. And I'm going to give him my time, my attention. That's why I desire for you guys to just decide. Make that decision to give him your time and attention. And it's not easy. I talk to one of my good friends quite often about that. And I say, it's moment by moment. We don't just decide one Sunday, yes, I surrender. I'm good from here on out. It's not how it works. It's literally moment by moment making the choice, sometimes the hard choice, to surrender, to yield to what God has for you. Um, as the worship team comes, we're going to sing that song, the, the last one, with the, at the cross. I just love that picture. I love it because that's where we've got to run to is the cross. That's the crux of this whole thing. That's the only thing that matters is Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. So we have plenty of time. You don't have to run out. Take a few moments. Worship the Lord. Come forward if you want to pray and surrender. Our prayer team will be available for you if you just want to kind of make it real. I think sometimes accountability is really key. I know for myself, if I decide something spiritually and then I don't tell anyone kind of easy to not follow through <laughs> so it's very important to tell somebody and somebody you trust right hey hold me accountable to this i'm making this plan to do whatever it is and i want you to hold me accountable i want to see growth in my life in this new year i want to see it i don't want to be jonah anymore choosing to run or choosing to not like people 
right? I want to change. I want to be more like Jesus. So as we sing, please take this time. I know some people will say, you know, it's not easy to figure it out right away. I get that. But at least start the process, right? At least start figuring out what it is that God is calling you to do. There's something that God is calling each one of us to do. Jeremiah says that he has great plans for us. Hope and a future is what he says. What does your hope and your future look like? God's got something for you that's hope and future, that's good. He's going to prosper us. Let's focus in on that, where God is calling us. Let's go ahead and sing.